you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Yeah, it's Jordan Canella smith here this Tuesday night on SEN, filling in for Sam Hargraves on the program. Good to be with you. one 736 736 is the number to call if you'd like to get involved on the phones. You can send a text message as well, 433 98 11 16 if you'd like to uh, get involved on the text machine. All thanks to 40 Winks. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. The sporting capital on this Tuesday evening, taking you through the world of sports, covering off on a number of different topics. Of course, uh, if you want to listen to some live sport, that's available for you on the SEN app. We've got the T20 Cricket World Cup on the SEN Fanatic channel. It's there for you if you want to tune in to uh, to a bit of cricket for tonight. But we are here on SEN, on the sporting capital. And, um, and well, Melbourne really was the sporting capital. It lived up to its name on the weekend when the eyes of the sporting world were on Rod Laver Arena for one of the uh, one of the fights of the. It's always a it's always a big moment, a World Championship fight um, for uh, for the lightweight title, the undisputed title between George Cambosos and Devin Haney. The second meeting between the pair after they met in uh, in Melbourne at Marble Stadium earlier this year. The second fight around, Devin Haney retains his titles against Australian George Cambosos. Uh, was that Rod Laver Arena this time? I was there. I was there for Marvel uh, a couple of months ago. I was there on the weekend at Rod Laver Arena. Enjoyed both of them. Quite enjoyed uh, Rod Laver Arena as a boxing venue, as a matter of fact. Um, but on the card as well was uh, not only George Cambosis and Devin Haney, there was a great card of uh, of a couple of Australian fighters and two of them, which fought right before George Cambosis, were the Maloney twins, Andrew and Jason who are both in the midst and have had world title fights before and are looking for their next one coming up. And we've got both of them on the line with us now here on the Sporting Capital. Andrew, Jason, good evening. How's things? G'day, Jordan. Thanks for having us on, mate. We're going great. Excellent to have you on. I was, uh, I think we were all mightily impressed with your efforts on the weekend, both of you who both got the win uh, against your respective opponents, Andrew against uh, Norbelto Jimenez and Jason against uh, Nawapon Kakaina from uh, Thailand. Um, it was great to see Aussies uh, getting wins on the cards and uh, and you two both part of uh, well entrenched in the Australian boxing scene at the moment. So congrats to both of you. Andrew, I'll start with you. You were first up uh, on the cards uh, against Norbelto Jimenez. Went the distance, won it by unanimous decision. How close to plan did that fight go for you on Sunday? Yeah, that's right. It was a, a great day for Australian boxing and a, a great day for myself and Jason and our team and everyone involved. Um, yeah, it took on a tough opponent. He was rated number two in the world. Uh, he'd only had one loss in the last 11 years. So I went into the fight knowing it was going to be a tough one. And to be honest, it probably ended up being a little bit easier than uh, I expected. So everything went yeah well and truly to plan. You made a statement early in the piece by dropping Jimenez in the first and then the second round and then held it down really throughout the uh, remaining rounds. How much 
Uh, did it feel like the fight was was progressing on your terms as the fight went on? Yeah, I mean, it was a great way to start the fight. He um, he had a point deducted in the first round um, and then I dropped him with a jab. So that's already a 10-7 round to start things off, which sort of took the pressure off me a little bit there. Um, you know, starting the first round already three points ahead is a great way to start a fight. So I certainly felt, you know, the... The, uh, the pressure was off a little bit there and, and then just felt totally, totally in control for the rest of the fight. So, yeah, really happy with the way the fight played out. You kept things tight and controlled. A nice tight guard as well kept on the inside of Jimenez. How well executed did that game plan go and was it comfortable uh, fighting like that against Jimenez who has a little bit of height on you? Yeah, that's right. He's, he's really tall and um, and had a really long reach for that weight division. So I knew I was going to have to keep my defence tight and try and sort of press the action and get up really close to him and, and get to work. And I felt like I did that, you know, well, everything that we're trained to do in the gym, you know, paid off on fight night as it usually does. So, um, yeah, really, really happy with the result. And uh, right now I'm just really excited for what's to come. Hopefully that, uh, that fight will earn me the opportunity to fight for a world title early next year and um, I'll just continue to get back in the gym now and, and get ready for that to make sure that I continue to improve. Absolutely. I'll ask you about that in a moment as well. Just the last one on the uh, on the weekend's fight though. Jimenez, he was getting up to his hijinks, wasn't he? He had a couple of times uh, there were some late punches thrown when when the, uh, when the ref had called you to split. He was complaining a bit to the referee as well. He was getting a bit verbal. Um, in the moment when it might have been... Uh, frustrating from your side of things to, to watch all that happening and have your fight be sort of punctured by these moments from Jimenez. What was the key thing that you needed to remember to keep your head uh, firmly screwed on the shoulders as well? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit disappointing that he, he was carrying on a bit and he was sort of he was a very experienced fighter. He had 46 pro fights, so he, he knew what he was doing. He was just trying to get the pace to slow down and, and taking breaks wherever he could. Um, to try and ease the pressure that I was putting on him. So very smart fighter. Um, you know, after a round or two, I really thought I was going to get the stoppage win and, and end the fight early. But he used his experience to, you know, slow things down and survive the distance. So that was frustrating. But, you know, when someone's complaining like that and, and really needing to take breaks, that just gave me more confidence that what I was doing was really getting to him. So if anything, he just gave me more and more confidence as the fight went on. Jason, I'll welcome you in now. You're up next against uh, Nawapon Kaikana from Thailand. Another very entertaining fight. Uh, this one was right before the main event, but this one uh, was, was an excellent, excellent fight itself. It appeared like you were in control the whole time. Did it feel that way, Jason? Yeah, it did, mate. I'm pretty happy with how it played out, and I just had to do, you know, have a really disciplined fight and, and not take too many unnecessary risks because what I was doing was working with my movement and, and boxing and, and moving, but he was such a dangerous opponent, and he really had a lot of power. Um, so, yeah, I had to, had to sort of be on my game and remain focused throughout the whole 12 rounds because, um, yeah, obviously one second in boxing can change the whole fight and, and really derail my dreams. So I really had to um, stay switched on, and which I did. So I was very happy with that and, yeah, very happy with the outcome. You said post-fight it didn't feel like it was the most exciting fight of your career. Was that down to yeah. uh, the opposition or was it s something that you felt like you were lacking? Oh, look, I, I, I'm just a, a harsh critic of my own performances. Uh, I know some of the boxing purists would have liked that um, performance. I know 
Uh, my assistant coach, Snobby, loved it. Um, somebody at Haney Camp actually came up, up to me after the fight and said how well I boxed and, you know, how impressed they were. So, you know, some people love watching that. You know, this, that's the art of the game is to hit and not get hit and that's the real sweet science of our sport. But obviously a lot of people love the knockouts and they love, you know, seeing two people just go toe-to-toe and that's sort of what I meant by it wasn't maybe the most entertaining. I do like to to get the knockouts and I do like to sort of go to war a bit but at the end of the day you have to um, you know be smart in this sport um, and I didn't take too much punishment I beat the world number two and, and now I move on to fight for the world title next so it was a good, good result. You looked sharp physically as well on the outside for most of the fights uh, there was a, a bit of movement happening around the outside of your opponent you never wilted in those moments either kept your uh, kept your footwork and didn't look like you're out of breath through much how close to peak condition do you think you're in right now yeah I felt fantastic I honestly did the 12 rounds so comfortably and was barely blown out a candle at the end of the fight to be honest it, it sort of felt weird to finish your fight with so much more in the tank but as I said, I, what I was doing was working and didn't want to take too many unnecessary risks. But um, I'm in, yeah, tremendous shape and, and ready to go. And I think, you know, beating the world number two so convincingly really made a bit of a statement and, and showed that I'm ready for anyone in the division and, and I'm ready for a world title around my waist. Jason, can I ask you, I've seen Jonathan Brown on your uh uh, on your ring walk, uh, the last couple of fights, he was there in uh, earlier this year in at Marvel, and he was there again carrying the Aussie flag as you walked up at Rod Laver Arena. What's the link with uh, with you and, and John O'Brown? <laughs> Brownie's a good mate of our coaches, Angela Hyder. They've gone back for, for years now. They're, they're good mates, and Brownie's yeah, just been a great supporter of mine and Andrews, and. Um, yeah, we asked him to, to, to carry the flag out for us last time and it was a great day uh, out at Marvel. We got the win. So he's um, he's been the flag bearer for our team four times now and we've won all four fights. So, yeah, he's got the gig and he's bringing us a bit of luck, I think. So, yeah, it's great to have him walking us out and um, great to have him supporting us. Do you, do, you guys, uh, do you guys swap athletic notes at all? Has he been involved in some in some training sessions with you at all? Yeah, we've actually yeah had him in the gym and held pads for Brownie. He um, yeah he packed a bit of a punch, but he, yeah he has actually given us a bit of advice just on just on training. Obviously not uh, too boxing specific, but just you know ways that I guess he looked after his body throughout his career and, and maybe what he would have done differently um, had he had his time again. And yeah, he's been, he's been great, great to us. And um, yeah, obviously any advice from someone like Brownie you're going to listen to because he's just a legend of the sport. Onto the future now, and I'll go back to you, Andrew. You've uh, you've held the WBA regular super flyweight title before, and you had that trilogy against Joshua Franco. He's still the champ in this division. What's the next step for you now on your journey back towards a world title fight? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so my opponent on the weekend was rated number two in the WBO, three in the WBC, and eight in WBA. So I believe a win over him will push me up really high in all the rankings. Um, probably the WBO is the route we've been going after uh, as of recently. Um, I believe, fingers crossed, I should move to number one in the division in the WBO. And the champion there is Kazuto Iota, uh, a Japanese fighter who I would love the opportunity to face. Um, there's rumours now that he might be fighting Josh Franco on New Year's Eve in Japan. So uh, the winner of that fight is, is going to be the one that I want. And... As much as I'd love to fight Oka, I'd also love to fight Josh Franco and 
to get a win over him would be just the sweetest victory of them all. So let's hope we can make that happen. I know in my heart that I've got what it takes to beat Franco, even though he won that. He beat me last time out. I still feel like I've got what it takes to beat him, and I'd love the opportunity to do that again. What's involved in uh, in how you choose or which which road you take uh, for your next opponent? Obviously, with the different organisations, there's there's different rankings. Some are similar, some are very different. Um, with uh, with sort of who's next up, I guess, in in the challenger stakes for the title. How do you guys come to a decision to say, okay, we're going to pursue, uh, you know, the, the the WBC over the WBA or, or whichever combination? How do you come to that decision as a team? Oh, we've got a manager who, who looks after that and obviously our promoter top rank. But for me, it's whoever gives me the opportunity to fight for world title next. Uh, you know, it's my dream to become world champion again. Um, you know, having that belt for that short period in 2019, 2020, just, and then losing it has just made me even more hungry. So I just want to become world champion again as soon as possible. So whoever gives me the opportunity to fight them first is the one I'm going to take. And Jason, for you, a similar story in your division. Naoya Inoue is the bantamweight champion. He's uh, one of the most exciting fighters uh, going around in boxing right now worldwide, but is expecting to move up a division. So uh, in your division, the bantamweight, it's almost in a state of flux at the, at the moment. So for the time being, are you, are you playing the waiting game to see how all that transpires? Uh, well, there shouldn't be too much of a wait, really. I knew he's going to fight uh, Paul Butler December 13 in Japan. And um, once he wins that fight, which I really believe he will, um, as do most, uh, he's going to move up to the next weight division, as you said. So... There'll be four belts in the division that all become vacant and um, just leaves a giant hole in the division for someone to come through and become the new king of the bantamweights. And I'm ready for that to be me. Uh, I'll, I'll be standing there at the top of the tree, sitting at world number one and, and in the mandatory position for that world title. So as soon as he relinquishes them and moves up, uh, I'll be standing there ready to get all four belts and... Um, take over this division for the years to come. So, it's, yeah, very exciting time for me and this division. So so could your next fight, Jason, be a, a title fight or would there be another one before that? Yeah. No, nah, my next fight will 100% be for the WBC World Title. So, yeah, very exciting. Yeah, The dream will come true and Australia will have a new world champion early next year. Excellent. That's that's great to hear. Uh, Andrew, just as we finish off, I'll come back to you. You're both Melbourne boys, and this year has been incredible for Australian boxing with these uh, world title fights happening here uh, in Australia and, and the eyes of the world being on Australian fighters, not just um, fighting in Australia, but there's been uh, there's been various uh, boxers who have, who have caught the attention. Obviously, Jay Pattaya is a world title. Tim Zhu is um, catching the attention. You guys are, are right in the mix again. You have been world champions. You're going back there again. And then there's the next generation coming through. We had uh, Liam Paro a few nights ago put his name in on the map as well. Um, it's, it's in a really good spot at the moment. Is Australian boxing... Uh, are we in a... We've always spoken about Australian boxing being on the rise. Is it time now to change that from being on the rise to Australian boxing being here, right here, right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. It's right here, right now. Australian boxing is on fire at the moment and we, yeah, we have a couple of world champions and, and we have quite a few fighters really on the doorstep of, of fighting for world titles as well. So within the next six months or so, Australian boxing could not just be putting us up on the map but, but really putting us up, up there as one of the best nations for boxing. Um, and it's just so exciting. You know, we've had 
we've been lucky over the last year or so. We've had these these huge events in Australia, and if we can get hold of these world titles, then these these events will just be happening more and more often. And Australian boxing will really be looked at as the hotbed for the talent in world boxing. And and then, you know, helping to grow the sport here in this country is something that me and Jason are really passionate about. And I feel like the game is really starting to shift and, and gaining a lot of momentum at the moment. So it's really exciting. And Jason, so as I said, both from Melbourne, Marvel Stadium a few months ago, Rod Laver Arena on Sunday. I, I was at both. I actually... Uh, Marvel Stadium, as great as it is to have a, a massive crowd, and you always want the bigger crowd. But I, as a boxing venue, actually, I quite liked Rod Laver Arena. It was a great viewing venue. The atmosphere was brilliant. Um, how enjoyable was it just for you guys uh, to be able to fight in the venue with a nice crowd and a great environment? Oh, mate, just this year has just been phenomenal. Um, yeah, as you said, to fight at Marvel Stadium and then to back that up and fight at Rod Laver Arena, I could not have dreamt of a better year for, uh, for myself and for Andrew. So, yeah, we're so grateful for those opportunities that we've had. And I think Rod Labor goes in as maybe one of the best fight venues in the world. I yeah. certainly hope that we can um, have have more shows there and, and myself and Andrew can headline our own events there because, yeah, walking out there on Sunday and fighting in that atmosphere um, at that venue was, yeah, just absolutely incredible, something I'll never forget. So hopefully we can do it again very soon. Andrew, Jason, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys both tonight. Uh, congrats again on the fights you had on the weekend. And now the next uh, the next step, hopefully, for both of your world title fights, which I'm sure will be the next step. And we know that you're going to be back there and, uh, and with belts around your waist again. So keep the flag flying high for Australian boxing, as I'm sure you both will. And good luck for what's to lie ahead for you guys. Thanks, George. Really appreciate you having us on, mate. Yeah, thank you, mate. And we will. Excellent stuff. Andrew and Jason Maloney, both uh, in action on the weekend at Rod Laver Arena and will be again in the next uh, couple of uh, weeks and months towards 2023, going back for world title fights uh, in their divisions. So, uh, yeah, excellent. Uh, there was a great event, really, on the weekend. We didn't get the result in the main events, the uh, George Cambosis fight against Devin Haney, but uh, Jason Maloney in the bantamweight and Andrew Maloney in the super flyweight, both uh, of world-class uh, talents. The Sporting Capital continues next. 0433981116 is sent through a text message. We'll have Laurie Horish from ESPN to join us in about uh, 10 or so minutes from now to recap what happened earlier today in Monday Night Football, the Denver Broncos and the LA Chargers. But more of your thoughts on the other side of this here on the Sporting Capital. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. The Sporting Capital on a Tuesday night on SEN, 0433981116 to send through your text messages. All thanks to Temper, 1300 736 736 if you'd like to give us a call as well on the phones. Uh, we've got Laurie Horish coming up in a matter of minutes, though, to chat NFL after uh, week number six ended earlier today with the Denver Broncos and the LA Chargers playing out an overtime game. Uh, the Chargers winning with a late field goal, which had about... Their respective seasons so far through six weeks, the Chargers and the Broncos, and then also what's coming up in week number seven in a matter of days with the Thursday night football uh, to obviously take place on Friday afternoon our time. So we'll do that in a matter of moments with Laurie Horish. Uh, live sport, as always, is available to you, as it frequently has become on SEN, with uh, with uh, plenty of live sport. And there's so much live sport coming up in, um, in the in next couple of months with cricket, a full schedule of cricket, 
There'll be obviously football with the World Cup. We'll have, uh, I imagine we've got the tennis as well coming up in uh, in January with the Oz Open. So it's a, a great couple of months to be here on SEN and live sport on the SEN app uh, on the SEN Fanatic channel with Sri Lanka and the UAE. Uh, Sri Lanka batting first. They are none for 41 from the first four overs. So a solid start there from Sri Lanka with uh, Nasanka and Kusal Mendes, the current batsmen. So uh, Sam Hargrave's calling that for you on the uh, on the SEN app. Uh, I appreciate the uh, the text there, Murray. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, hopefully Andrew and Jason Maloney, uh, which I'm sure they will, have, uh, have great success coming up in their next couple of months and we'll be able to hear more of them on SEN. Uh, they've been good with their time. They've been on here a couple of times, Jason and Andrew. So uh, starting to become... Uh, sort of SEN semi-regulars, the brothers, whenever there is uh, a meaningful moment in their career. They are often very gracious with their time with us here on SEN. Uh, 0433981116, as I said, your thoughts on Pat Cummins as the new Australian ODI captain. Um, he, uh, he spoke uh, about what excites him about taking on the role as Australia's white ball skipper. Well, I think the World Cup, uh, you know, just around the corner, um, you know, those big tournaments leave significant... Um, yeah, they're significant parts of anyone's career and, um, yeah, been part of two of them. So I think building towards any campaign's really exciting. And, um, I think as well, you know, looking around the team, we've got some, some, um, significant leaders around there that, uh, I can, uh, certainly bounce off. Pat Cummins, Australia's new ODI captain after, uh, taking over from Aaron Finch when he stepped down a few weeks ago now. So Cummins has the captaincy for the test team and for the ODI team. As well, zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. If you want to send through any questions, but we're chatting NFL next with Laurie Horish. On SEN this Tuesday night, Jordan Canellis with you. Good to be in your company right across Australia. You can send us a text zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen over the course of the show tonight. One three hundred seven three six seven three six to give us a call. Uh, earlier today, we had week six of the NFL season wrap up with Monday Night Football, and it was the Denver Broncos and the LA Chargers to finish the week off. And the Chargers won in overtime with a winning field goal, 19-16 to in this AFC West clash. Laurie Horish is with us to recap the... Um, well, he, was, he was with us yesterday to recap the, uh, the week, so we'll just touch on Monday Night Football uh, this evening. Laurie, welcome back. Good to have a chat. Always great to join you. It was a uh, it was an interesting one um, between a couple of AFC West rivals here and some narratives that I think um, perhaps a team like the Denver Broncos were hoping to escape that's going to hang around just a little bit longer as the season goes along. Yeah, so both these teams are in really interesting positions at the moment because uh, there was a lot... Let's start on the winners, the LA Chargers. There was a lot spoken about them in the preseason. Uh, there was a you know a pretty sizable amount of people, percentage of people had them as maybe being the winners of the AFC and going into the Super Bowl or being around that kind of mark anyway. But their start to the season has, even though their win-loss is 4-2, and two, it's been a little sluggish the way it's actually panned out and, and progressed. Uh, what was your assessment of the LA Chargers uh, in their, uh, from their side of the coin today? Yeah, I think sluggish is a good word you use there. Um, and, and a big part of that, let's start with the offensive line. They've suffered injuries there. Anytime you've got kind of third-string players needing to be thrust into your starting lineup that's going to generally make you less efficient less effective and less explosive and and that's the case for the Chargers. you know justin fear justin herbert throwing you know nearly 60 attempts today and not even tickling 250 yards uh, for his total just points like how much this team is not in rhythm at the moment they're getting a victory they're at four and two 
they're well in the hunt in the AFC. So in some ways, it's good survival mode from them. Uh, they have had some big outs. You know, Keenan Allen's been dealing with um, an injury, injuries that just won't uh, leave him alone inactive for this one. And uh, Joey Bosa, big name that's, that's been dealing with it as well. Khalil Mack has been productive um, and finds himself in the uh, notching up another sack today as he's got himself nice and high up in the in the sacks on everything, but high up on the uh, on the sack list so far for the 2022 season. Um, but yes, this is it and it hasn't fully hit its straps. Hopefully some health will um, will aid that, uh, particularly on offense, whether that's on the offensive line or at the receiving room. And I, I just wonder uh, for this team, uh, with someone like Justin Herbert under center um, and the prodigious talent he has, and, and seemingly the separation that Patrick Holmes and Josh Allen have put between themselves and someone like Josh, uh, someone like Justin Herbert at this point of the season. I wonder if the Chargers are going to be a team who are active um, at the trade deadline with or, you know, perhaps a one-to-way receiver or two. Um, plenty of talk around the Carolina Panthers and whether you could, um, whether you can extract uh, some of their talent. Someone like a DJ Moore. We had sticking with Moore's Elijah Moore was a little vocal on on Twitter. The young Jets promising receiver who had a really interesting season last year and has been underutilized so far. Things are going well in Jets country right now, but do we see a name like that uh, linked to a team like the Chargers that just needs to inject a little bit of juice and a little bit of consistency on offense? Is that mainly what they need? Is it, is it in the passing game? Because Justin Herbert's a great passer. It feels like they're getting more. I guess it looks. It feels like they're getting more production out of uh, the backfield through Austin Eckler and and his multi-dimension uh, dimensional play. But is it a matter of just trying to to supplement that um, that receiving room with Keenan Allen out for the time being? Look, I, I think you tie both of those things: the rushing game and the receiving game, and the lack of efficiency. Like the you know Austin Eckler was you know takes in 10 receptions today um, and that total got um, definitely got uh, boosted late in this one. But for only 47 yards to go with, you know, two and a half yards on the ground, that is not highly efficient um, from Austin Eckler. I think we point to the offensive line, not opening consistent creases in the running game. It's hard yardage there. And that also does play into the platform that you're setting for Justin Herbert. I think getting some more explosion um, into that receiving room, uh, even with Keenan Allen back, as class a receiver as he is, and Mike Williams, who's leveled up his game in the last season or so, um, these guys are not... One of the jokes you say, the the lines that runs around about the receiving room um, with the Chargers is that no one can run out of sight there. As good a receiver as they are, speed is not an asset for that team. So, yeah, I think that helps open up some of this offense. It's one of the offenses that you think about them, you think about the Bengals, you think about the Packers that feel really stressed and feel really constrained at the moment and they're not flowing with any kind of rhythm. And that would be one thing. Yes, you'd look to the receiving room. I think you've got the talent enough in the backfield. But yeah, and you, you hope, you hope for a team that is seemingly cursed year in, year out when it comes to injuries that they can get some health on the offensive line as well. Because like most teams, um, your weapons, um, your firepower tends to stay um, uh, underutilized when you don't have uh, the time to uh, let them get to work. And then from the Denver Broncos, they uh, another loss for them. It's their fourth of the season. It, it's felt like a long six weeks to start the season for the Denver Broncos. They had the most hype, or one of the teams with the most hype heading into the season with Russell Wilson, their new quarterback. It feels like you know, maybe for the first time since Peyton Manning, they've had a quarterback that uh, fans can be excited about and think that, yes, this is our quarterback for for, for this generation. But it's it's been a bit of, well, I said sluggish for the Chargers. More than that, really, for the Broncos. They just haven't gotten started, haven't really 
been able to sort of punch anyone in the mouth, so to speak, just yet for the Broncos. The scoring is down. What what has been the reason for that for the Denver Broncos? New, you know, experienced quarterback, but new head coach. Where's the where's the disconnect been at Denver? Oof. Um, I think when it comes to the Denver Broncos, you mentioned it's been a long six weeks. Every game you watch of them, and there's been a lot in prime time. Um, every game feels like a long watch. There were some flashes early where Russell Wilson, you know, at least was a little mobile in the pocket, got on the move and hit some big connections. Um, we got Greg Dulcich in for his first touchdown and his first game. We saw Jerry Judy with a nice game down the right side. Then you go, okay, hold on, hold on. Are we seeing a little bit more of a mobile Russell Wilson? Are we going to get something going? But kind of the statue that he is at times, taking some bad sacks, not seeing some easy completions over the middle, uh, followed by just in some moments where you do see the, the, just how much the athleticism has fallen off as he's got to this point in his 30s. He tried at one point one of these vintage Russell Wilson moves that were so familiar back in the best times of, uh, of his tenure in Seattle. The kind of blind rollout where you see he kind of turns his back to the defense, spins out to his left. Um, it's kind of a blind pirouette. And he couldn't have shaken the defender any less. He was immediately dropped for a heavy sack there. And I think that's just... That's where his game is at, and I think you just feel the kind of panic and tension and the lack of trust between himself and the sideline. They both know that this isn't firing on all cylinders right now, um, whether it's some decisions to, to, to punt in advantageous field positioning. Um, we know game management has been a, a bit of a bugaboo for Nathaniel Hackett in his first season as a head coach. Definitely seems like someone who, despite being an offensive mind, might have benefited from not being the offensive play caller, not having as heavy a hand in the offense and being able to step back as a first-time head coach and take care of the head coaching side of things. Um, but look, everything looks really tough for the Broncos now. A, a few brief rays of sunshine early in this game, but then more of the same. And, and ultimately, this look, this was a, a contest between two AFC West rivals, not, not anywhere hitting their strides, not anywhere close to that. Um, and I suppose uh, for the neutral fan, be happy that the Chargers took away the victory and got to four and two because of the two, they're the team that looks more likely to be able to make some noise and challenge the very two clear AFC heavyweights sitting atop the pack on that uh, on that side of the NFL. The uh, Ben Graham on on this station uh, on Monday morning during the the first early window slate of games said that um, so after Matt Rule's uh, sacking during the week from the Carolina position, he said that Nathaniel Hackett's the sort of almost the next one. It, could it be a case that if this trend continues for the Denver Broncos, that Nathaniel Hackett could be a one-and-done season as a head coach at the Broncos? It could be. It could be, given that he doesn't hold, you know, a long, extensive reputation. Um, you can't imagine that he's got the biggest voice in the organization right now in Denver. It could be. Um, it's also a franchise that has kind of prided itself on consistent winning um, and stability. That has not been the case in recent years, even up to, you know, there's, there has been, um, you know, shifts and change with ownership and things like this. Um, yeah, the, the Broncos could be a candidate candidate for that just with how much has been invested in this new regime. And with that, I mean, with Russell Wilson's contract. But you have to then ask yourself, OK, if that does come to fruition, who wants to take this job? What type of coach are we going to attract? Do we still think that Nathaniel Hackett has the mind and the presence, the mentality that made us you know, tap him on the shoulder as our next man? Um, and give him the nod that he was going to take over this role, or is it truly lost? Because then you're going to be looking at a a Russell Wilson contract that is not easy to get out of for a number of years and comes at a high price and will impact your cap situation and what you can do. Um, 
meeting up with production that just is not there. That the, the greater evidence says he is closer um, to his game being. You don't want to use the word washed, and you know the the word cook has surrounded Russell Wilson for a number of years now. That his game is far closer uh, to the end than it was to his prime. That's what evidence suggests over the first six weeks of the season. So what exactly are you going to be able to bring in if that's the table being set for a new head coach after a one-and-done season, if that's what comes from Nathaniel Hackett? Just to put a bow on week six as it came to an end today with this match, but overall, who maybe not not necessarily the best win or the most impressive win, but who had the most important win for their season in week number six? Wow, important's a great word there. That really does make you think. I mean, you, you do you throw out the Indianapolis Colts who get themselves to a winning record against a Jaguars team that a couple of weeks ago looked really primed to take the mantle in the AFC South and step up and Matt Ryan delivering a performance that few saw coming, you know, almost 60 attempts, Matt Ryan, he goes for nearly 400 yards, three touchdowns, no picks and that relationship with Alec Pierce, as well as Michael Pittman, um, really burgeoning nicely there. If I'm going the most important victory though, looking across the board, I'm going to take a look, look, the Bills and Chiefs is the highlight game. In terms of the playoff pitcher and, and seeding and all that kind of thing, uh, who gets home field advantage out of the AFC side of things, that's clearly your marquee game. That obviously means a ton. That's an easy answer there. And, and in my opinion, Josh Allen wrestles control of the MVP debate away from Patrick Mahomes in that situation. But uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, um, having started 0-2, wrestling it back, hanging around 500, getting themselves back to 3-3 three and three, and getting some positive mojo going um, not talking intangibles but also with that production and connection going with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow in New Orleans in a familiar building to those guys the two LSU Tigers that connection been flourishing in the state of Louisiana that feels like hopefully it wasn't clean it wasn't perfect there was some luck there they're up against the Saints team that continues to find injury uh, injury you know uh, hardship just around the next turn um, but it's a big win it does point to some level, you know, Joe Burrow getting over 300, getting to 300 yards, getting three touchdowns. We're starting to see hints of that Bengals, you know, what was supposed to be one of the best offenses in the league. Are they starting to find a little more confidence, a little more chemistry, and ideally um, a little little more fluidity considering the ridiculous skill talent they do have. Uh, just quickly looking ahead to the to the week in front of us now with uh, just the, what, the two-day layoff between... Monday night football and uh, Thursday night football coming up on Friday afternoon our time. That game is New Orleans versus Arizona. Our last couple of Thursday night games have been pretty underwhelming. So are we going to get a uh, a more positive high-scoring game between the Saints and the Cardinals for Thursday well, night? Well, we do get the return of Nuke Hopkins. Uh, the Cardinals look like that Hollywood Brown is going to be out for some time. Looks like his foot injury won't be season-ending. It's kind of the updates filtering through today. But we do get Nuke Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, returning from injury to a team in the Cardinals that desperately need that. They need something familiar. They need something productive, explosive, and consistent on offense. It has been watching Kyler Murray, who can be as entertaining as anyone in the league, operate completely inefficient and frustrating and stalled out offense in the first six weeks has been one of the most punishing experiences for football watchers out there um, through six weeks. Cardinals fans, I understand if you're frustrated. I think this is a great time to tune in and see the page turn. Look, all hope is not lost yet for the Cardinals. No, they're not sitting there with a ridiculously high-end record in the NFC side of things. Um, but but uh, they are not too far out of this. There is still so much to play out, especially in that NFC, where you question how good is anyone really 
Eagles being undefeated, uh, taking that into account. Um, this is a great time that they could hit against a, a Saints team that has suffered injuries at the most important position, at quarterback, as well as throughout the rest of their roster. Can they get um, something far more familiar and far more exciting for their fans and the NFL viewers in general going with the return of number 10 in Nuke Hopkins? Because that is a team. We talk about coaches that are under strife. I think there is very, very, very justified spotlight and attention being paid to Cliff Kingsbury, who is supposed to be a spread out um, a new age offensive mind, just how poor that unit has run um, in Arizona, considering it's a hand-picked number one overall pick at quarterback. Uh, we need to start to see the wheels turning. This is a very, very, very opportune moment for that to get going with such a huge name entering back in the fold. And finally, Laurie, before I let you go, is uh, Super Bowl 54 replay later on this week on Monday morning, Kansas City against San Francisco. Is that going to be the, uh, the, the the highly billed game of the week? I mean, I think when you look across the board at the next week's slate, um, obviously look, primetime games are going to get a big, a big run. Um, I think there'll be plenty of eyes. I don't think Cowboys and Lions is a, you know, where the Lions sit. Um, I don't think that is a, you know, headline heavyweight versus heavyweight, but there'll be plenty of eyes with Dak Prescott coming back. Anytime you've got two teams with a winning record, particularly this season, where so many teams are struggling to get something going, yeah, the 49ers and Chiefs um, are going to get um, plenty of attention. It probably will be the most hyped up game. Um, but I think what's interesting this week is just a number of returns that are coming across the league and how we see that plays out with contending teams. I mentioned Dak Prescott expected to be back for the Cowboys against the Lions. Tua Tungavailoa expected to be back uh, in prime time against the Steelers. The Steelers just off a huge win over the Buccaneers. Um, it, it is, it's an interesting time to see um, just how these teams are levelling out. And again, I mentioned earlier you know, could a team like the Chargers be active against the trade deadline? Some of these, and that comes up in a couple of weeks, that results over the next week or so could prove very pivotal for how teams perceive themselves in a very, very chunky middle class um, and whether they say, you know, there's a lot of teams out there that will be looking around saying, mm, what, there's three teams we can bona fide say are better than us? What could we do to stick our head out from the pack and really give ourselves a chance at making a run? It's a, it's a fascinating season. I really am. Um, if, you, if you're out there, if you haven't been watching, you have been. Um, it, it, it really is one of those interesting NFL seasons. Parity is abound, and that makes for week-to-week just ridiculous results. But, um, yeah, a good one to look forward to as, uh, as Narrative Street takes its next turn and we get some of these returning stars making their way back into the fold. Laurie, always good to chat. Appreciate your time this evening on, on SCN, and thank you for joining us, mate. Always great joining you. Thanks a lot. Laurie Horish from ESPN uh, Australia, New Zealand. It's good to have a chat to round up week number six of the season and look ahead to week seven coming up in a few days from now on Friday afternoon or Friday mid-morning our time, the Saints and the Cardinals. SEN this Tuesday night. Jordan Canellis with you. 0433981116. Back with more after this. Sporting Capital on SEN, wrapping things up for a Tuesday night. Good to uh, good to be back on air for a little bit. It's, it was fun. Zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. If you have any last minute text messages, don't forget the uh, SEN uh, app has the T Twenty World Cup for you. A couple of live scores. If you're thinking you might flick over in a moment, um, or oh, you can keep it on here on eleven sixteen. We've got the uh, off the tee program coming up next. Uh, with uh, Sam Hargraves and Nick O'Hearn. But uh, the T20 World Cup, Sri Lanka, uh, one for 92 at the moment after uh, half an innings, 11 overs, 
uh, completed. Uh, Sri Lanka batting first against the UAE. SEN.com.au is where you can go if you want to podcast the program, any of the conversations you heard on the show tonight or the conversations from the other programs on SEN, both um, in Melbourne and all around Australia. The whole SEN network is right there for you at SEN.com.au. Coming up now, right after we wrap up here on the Sporting Capital, as I said, off the tee, Sam Hargraves and Nick O'Hearn with all the latest in golf. That's coming up in a few moments. And then after that, with, uh, you'll be with Simon Hill and Alex Brosk for the global game. So we gave you a bit of a teaser into what's happening in world football earlier with our chat with Teo Palazzeri talking about the Ballon d'Or. Simon Hill and Alex Brosk will go into a bit more detail uh, after the uh, the World Football Awards early this morning, the Asian Cup and all the latest with what's been happening in the Premier League, the A-League, the W, well, the A-League Women Competition and all the rest. That's coming up from 9pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. Off the tee, up next, thank you for being with us. Thank you for keeping us company and uh, having a bit of fun over the last couple of hours here on SEN. Jordan Canellas signing off. Have a good evening. Catch you later. See ya. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.